Greetings, loves, and welcome to Yes, a Stripper podcast. On today's episode, we are chatting with 2016's Miss Exotic World, Poison Ivory. We are discussing her rise to fame and what it is like to be an international burlesque entertainer. I'm your Hopra, Gigi Holiday, and this is Yes, a Stripper podcast. Well, hello, everyone, and I am excited to welcome my first guest uh, for this show. I am pleased to introduce someone that I have been friends with for years, co-worker with for years, and, you know, just, just a sister, and I'm so happy that they are one of my nearest and dearest friends. I would like everyone to give a warm welcome to Miss Poison Ivory. Yay! Yay. Thanks for having me, girl. (laughs) No, thanks for being here. It is such an honor and a pleasure uh, for you to be here. I'm so excited that you answer my panic text message of like, hey, I need to. I was your first guest. You're my first guest. And I'm so glad that you are my first guest because (laughs) who else would I like, I would want to talk to? Like, most of our conversations are filled with weed and wine and booze and dance <laughs> I don't need music. you calling me out, okay? You I'm calling myself out. <laughs> I'm calling myself out. <laughs> I love a good chat. So tell us, what is your, you are a superhero to me. So oh what is your origin story? How did you get into burlesque? Okay, so specifically my burlesque origin story. Um, Okay, so I've been at this point now, uh, as of today, as of today, today is just a regular day, but I've been performing burlesque for nine years, uh, just over nine years. And uh, I got into it kind of, I don't know, I guess by fate, I I have no real idea how it happened uh burlesque definitely happened to me um you know like many of us I mean I live here in New York but I'm a transplant I come from Long Beach California for the most part but kind of all over Southern California and about a decade ago I was still living out there and you know, I just was not really happy with my life at the time. Um, So I had a few crazy job offers and an opportunity to like live on a couch and decided to just blow up my life on the West Coast and take a freaking chance on myself and start my life over in New York. Um, So I did that. Everything seemed to just be you know, um, divinely guided everything about the place, like finding a place to live, everything just kind of rolled out so easily that it seems so meant to be, even though I was changing my life so drastically, I think for the first time in my life, I really had like faith in the universe and like surrendering to, you know, this path. And I know this sounds, you know, like a lot to talk about an origin story, but coming from my background, this, I was a kindergarten and first grade teacher before I moved to New York and started performing burlesque. I mean, I didn't perform immediately, but you know, my life right now is so completely different that it had to be like an act from God in order to get me to change my life so drastically. Um, 
but yeah, you know, I was in a, you know, pretty toxic situation, a long-term relationship that, you know, was like two months away from becoming legalized. And, you know, I just had all of these signs telling me that I needed to take this opportunity and move to New York and do a job that I wasn't, um, you know, I didn't go to school for anything. I actually got a job working for Project Runway um, as a set decorator and working in their art department and stuff like that. And it's something that I always was interested in as well as living in New York. So it kind of seemed like, okay, I have to take this opportunity. So, you know, after basically like a six month whirlwind love affair with New York winter came <laughs> and it, everything freaking changed, you know, coming from Southern California, I was not like super used to, you know, snow, any of that kind of stuff. And so we experienced what is still like, you know, fondly known as snow apocalypse back in, I believe it was like 2010 or something. Um, and that was like right after I had moved here <laughs> and at that point, I had lost a job that I had been working at. It just like everything seemed to be falling apart. The friends that I made when I moved here just weren't there for me anymore. And I really thought that I had made a mistake in moving to New York. And um, I basically went into a huge depression. Uh, and during that depression, I wound up watching everything that Netflix had to offer. And there was a documentary that was on Netflix at the time called A Wink and a Smile about the Seattle School of Burlesque. So I really enjoyed that documentary. I liked seeing all these different people from different walks of life, like coming together to explore this, what I thought was a lost art form at the time. You know, I always knew about burlesque historically, you know, everyone knows Josephine Baker and stuff, but like, I didn't know that it had been, there, there had been a revival. I didn't know any of that. So when I saw this documentary, I thought that it was just like this tiny little pocket of magic, you know, and, um, I probably watched it like four or five times. And, you know, when it got to the point that I was ready to pack my bags back up and move across the country and grovel for my old toxic life back, because, you know, it seemed like it was the only thing that felt familiar, I guess. Um, my best friend who still lives in California, she just like was not having it. She was like, no, I mean, you're living in New York. This is both of our dreams. Like, what are you doing? And she wound up, uh, I don't know if she had like officially took a leave of absence or if she just like got some gigs that were out here, but regardless, she wound up coming and living in New York with me in my bedroom for a month. <laughs> and during this month, it was like her mission to convince me not to move back home to California, which is such a selfless thing with her being, you know, still living out there. The fact that she knew it was so important for me to be out here, um, because I feel like most people in her situation would have been like, yeah, friend, come home, like, come be, you know what I mean? Come live back close. And so I really appreciated that. Um, and of course, while we were here, while she was here for that month, uh, I showed her the documentary <laughs> and she enjoyed it quite a bit. And, 
you know, from there, we actually got interested in, you know, attending burlesque shows in New York. And it was great. I had a few friends who, I mean, I knew by then, by the time I showed her the documentary, I had already realized that the revival had happened and that, that New York was actually a place where burlesque was like thriving. And so I started to go to shows. And by the time my friend was in town, you know, I had a couple of places that I wanted to take her. Uh, but still at this point, I didn't have the, I guess the guts to really sign up for the classes because my life was so different. Like I appreciated what burlesque had to offer, but I never intended to become a burlesque performer at all. So it didn't seem to make any sense to take the classes, even though I realized that the classes were not just for people who wanted to do it full time. It was also for people who just wanted to like get in touch with their bodies or, you know, figure out how to tap into their vulnerable side as well as their confidence. You know, all of these other things that come from taking burlesque classes besides just like being on stage. Um, those were the reasons why when my best friend gave me classes to the New York School of Burlesque as a birthday present, I was like, okay, well, I can get all of these things out of it. Um, this is all over the month, by the way, that she is in town. This was the I month of May. That, I love that this was like a full month yes. thing. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, um, she's... It was the month of May in 2012 that she was in town and I, um, we wound up going to a show and she was like, oh, I really want you to be on stage. Like, I would really love to see you have a gig and all that. And I'm like, dude, I don't know how to get a gig. Like, I don't know. It, you know, I thank you for signing me up for the classes. I think I had gone to one class maybe uh, at that time so far. And I was like, okay, you got it. If I get a gig before you leave, I will take it hands down. You know, she was like, okay, okay. And she's like a master manifester. So, um, basically the very next day I had class with Joe Weldon, who's the headmistress at the New York school of burlesque. Um, and she, basically right as soon as class started made the announcement that there was going to be a student showcase happening on May 26. And my friend Karina was scheduled to leave on the 27th. So I was like, well, this I guess is it. this is the sign that I have to do this one time only one ever performance in my life, this bucket list experience. And that is truly what I intended it to be. Um, that performance happened two weeks later and it was the day before my very last class, which was also the day my friend was leaving. It was like a whole bunch of stuff. Anyway, I didn't make it to that last class because I was so hungover for my like one night on stage because I, I had a panic attack before yeah. I cried backstage. I took a bunch of shots and like convinced myself that it was just going to be a one-time only performance. And, uh, you know, even though it was quite scary getting on the stage, by the time I was like in the act, uh, my very first number was to Girl With One Eye by Florence and the Machine. That was the first thing I ever created. I created the act in like a week. Uh, the costume even came together in this like 
way that just seemed magical. And I did my performance for a whole seven people in the audience. Uh, Three of them I knew. One of them was my best friend and still had a panic attack. (laughs) But, you know, uh, once my name was called, I went out on the stage like a professional and did my performance. And, you know, it was about halfway through where I really started to realize that um, even though it was a small crowd, like the love that I was receiving were for the choices that I had made for the song that I picked for the choreography that I created for the costume that I put together and coming from a theater and dance background where I spent most of my time on stage recreating someone else's story or telling Mm -hmm. somebody else's, you know, bringing someone else's vision to life. It was really satisfying that even for the, those, you know, very precious three minutes and 35 seconds that I was actually putting something for the first time on stage that was just completely me. Um, So Shortly after the next day, my friend left, like I said, um, I never even made it to my final class. So I still don't technically have my certificate from the New York <laughs> School of Dress. So like, even though I started teaching there, I still haven't technically graduated from there. But that's just such my vibe, you know. <laughs> I, <laughs> so I love it. It was fine. It was fine. Um, but yeah, so I, I wound up leaving the country for a while, just, you know, trying to eat, pray, love myself around Europe and figure out my life. Um, While I was there for two weeks, my best friend messages me. She's like, oh, I stumbled across this burlesque competition that you should do. And I was like, how do you stumble across a burlesque competition? But I'm pretty sure like at all the shows, she signed up for mailing lists and stuff like that. And so it turns out that Angie Pontani was doing a star search, like burlesque competition for performers three years and under. And the winners of this competition got to perform at the New York Burlesque Festival, which was coming up a month later. So I'm looking at the criteria. It's like, oh, you need a video. You need photos. You need to like, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I literally have one performance under my belt. I don't got any of this stuff and my friend she's like oh well I took a video on my phone da, da, da. and I'm like oh okay, <laughs> you know what go ahead girl you sign me up blah 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 she's like okay get some pictures and I think she might have submitted like an old headshot of mine or something like I, I just was not prepared for it but like somehow I wound up getting into this competition that happened like three days after I got home from this European adventure that I was on. Um, so I did my best to prepare. Uh, I, in my debut performance, met a woman named Cheeky Cheetah who had like mm-hmm. a beautiful costume on. And I was like, Hey girl, I would really love some twirling tassels because I just had at this point cut out some heart shapes on, in some lace fabric and just kind of like taped it to my boobs that that was my pasty. I had no idea. <laughs> But so I like that like, though. Those sparkly <laughs> things that you have are cool. So I asked her to make me a pair and she did. And turns out, I I believe I am the first person who ever commissioned Cheeky Cheetah of now Glorious Pasties, Pasties. who's like a world-renowned yes. costumer or whatever. So, you know, I knew that 
my part of my journey is like part of everyone's journey, you know, <laughs> from the beginning. You were a trendsetter. Yeah. You're definitely a trendsetter. <laughs> So uh, I do this little competition to the one act that I had, Girl With One Eye by Florence and the Machine. And World Famous Bob was a host. And I don't know if they were judging or not, but uh, they were the host. And I was competing with the, like, that's how I I met, like, Lena Lavoie. That's how I met, um, let me just say, they're like, name brand performers competing against me who now are like starring in shows in freaking Las Vegas. Okay. Like the Raquel Reeds, like this type of people who are like in this competition with me. So mind you at this point, like the Raquel Reeds are like two years, three years, you know, like barely getting under the deadline fully encrusted costumes, you know, all of the showgirl, whatever. And I'm still trying to figure out how to put lashes on. Ain't got a stitch of sparkle on my outfit, except for I do have those pasties, but like just feeling so inadequate backstage. And World Famous Bob was so lovely. They came up to me, <laughs> they were like, um, I could tell that you're a little nervous. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, having another panic attack situation, it felt like. And she was like, can you hear that? Can you hear that? And I was like, what? And she's like, do you hear that? And I was like, hear what? She's like, your audience, do you hear them? And I was like, yes. And she was like, they are hungry. Mm. They are so hungry. And I was like, yes. And she was like, your audience wants to be fed Mm. and they can't make an omelet out of a Fabergé egg. Now she wasn't saying this to be shady towards any of the fully encrusted performers there. They were saying this because I wasn't encrusted at all and I was counting myself out. And the message Mm. was, you don't need the sparkle because what people are fed from is the insides, is the yolk, is, you know what I mean? Like, that's the part that actually has the nutrients. Like, yes, it may be beautiful and sparkly, but like, you don't actually need that in order to feed your audience, which is probably some of the best advice that I've ever gotten as a performer and so early on as well, which is like, so, you know, it just felt meant to be. And, you know, while I didn't win this competition, actually Raquel Reed did wind up winning the competition. I did come in second (laughs) and second place also got to perform at the New York Burlesque Festival. So I still got the opportunity. So Basically, um, there was like maybe like a couple of weeks in between this competition. And I really have to also take the time to thank Tigger, who I consider like my burlesque uncle or like guardian angel or something, because rumor has it that some of the judges didn't necessarily want to let me place in this conversation in this competition because they had never seen me before, heard of me before. Because I was nobody. I mean, I literally had only had one performance under my belt outside of this competition. And 
Tigger fought so hard for me. I believe they may have even threatened to burn the bowling alley down if I didn't. Uh, I mean, that sounds sort of like Tigger. That sounds like Tigger. Like, I know yeah, Tigger. I that believe it. Sounds I believe like it. Him. <laughs> and so, you know, from there, I wind up doing the New York Burlesque per- Festival, which at the time I believe that wound up being my fourth performance. I wound up getting like a gig salad performance or opportunity in between. Maybe it was Craigslist. I don't even know, but it was for the anniversary party of a like nudist group. <laughs> and oh, so they were, I was like, oh, perfect. Everyone's already naked. So, uh, and I was like the last performer in the show. So by then I'm like, <laughs> like, please let me take my clothes off. I feel so awkward being the only dressed person in this room. Um, so that was my third performance. And then the New York burlesque per- festival was my fourth time on stage at the New York Burlesque Festival. And uh, it just so happens that there were quite a few producers in the audience that night. And I started getting gig opportunities with some, you know, companies that would consider themselves very snobbish. And I think they Mm -hmm. appreciated the fact that they could like get me, you know, before I was tainted by anybody else. But, you know, the thing is, I don't believe in scarcity or lack. And they sure did, which is why I'm still here. Where are they? But either way, I'm grateful for them them because they really did help push me, you know, um, performing right away with the likes of like Media Noche and freaking Hazel Honeysuckle. You know, Mm -hmm. I met Pearl Noir, you know, all of these people that I would not have even, you know, at the time, the only opportunity to be in the same room as them is when I was a ticket holder watching them perform. And now here I am, a baby burlesker, and I'm hoisted on the stage with these people who, in my opinion, were like truly iconic already, you know. Um, And boy, oh boy, did I have no idea how iconic this Pearl Noir was going to wind up being in my life, but I met her right away. And she also gave me wonderful advice. Uh, You know, I told her about the New York burlesque festival. I told her about these competitions and stuff when I was just kittening a show that she was in. I was like, do you have any advice for a new performer? And she just like looked at me and she's like, yeah, if you're going to raise your arm, I'm going to need you to raise your arm. And then she just twirled off into the distance and that was it. (laughs) I mean, uh, but that, again, I know Pearl. That sounds like Pearl. And that's some advice that I would take from Pearl. (laughs) Okay, I get it. Like, Yes, yes. But I mean, like, it's nice to know that, like, I took I took that advice to heart immediately. And I don't think I ever put it down. You know, I think that that's a part of who I am as a performer. I'm fully committed to whatever I present on the stage. So, you know, here we are nine years later. Uh, I became a full-time burlesque performer about seven years ago, maybe, um, because I got an opportunity to tour with a show called The Sweet Spot, which I'm sure you know of. Um, And I worked with them for about two years. 
And then, you know, some things happened. I had, we had to part ways. And a week later, after parting ways with them, I wound up winning the title of Queen of Burlesque. Um, At this point, I was only three and a half. I was just under my four year uh, anniversary when I won this title. Um, it, it, it's like a weird situation, you know, because I understood the importance of the title, but I still think at the time I was dealing with a lot of issues with like imposter syndrome and stuff like that, that I almost didn't know how to even be a queen of burlesque during my reign. But I did get some wonderful advice again from Pearl. You know, she was with me. I was a member of her house. Um, during that time, she created the House of Noir. Um, and that also, you know, I wound up getting into that, right? It, all of this stuff kind of happened all at the same time, you know. Pearl actually choreographed the act that I got in the year prior, like my best debut mm-hmm. um, act. I didn't win best debut, but the for the um, that portion of the competition, that act was choreographed by Pearl. And I had only been doing that act for like less than six months. Uh, you know what I mean? So it didn't even feel like me who had gotten right. accepted. It felt like, oh, I am doing Pearl's choreography. I mean, I know she choreographed it for me and that is how it is. But like at the time, I couldn't appreciate it because I mean... It was all just so much, so fast happening. Mm-hmm. And so then, you know, I didn't win, which was fine. I didn't want to win. I think my um, goal was always that if I were going to be on this that stage and in those competitions, that I would be trying to go for the title of Queen of Burlesque. But I thought, you know, my 10-year goal would be that. You know, my, you know what I mean? Like, it was like, yeah. I, right now, I finally feel ready to compete for Queen of Burlesque, like, right now. <laughs> but, yeah. like, five years ago, six years ago, I was not prepared. I just applied with the one act that I had applied with for three years in a row that kept getting denied, which was my Girl With One Eye number. I applied with that, and it wound up getting accepted. And so in 2016, I wound up competing for the very first time for Queen of Burlesque. And I won that year with the very first act that I ever made that was supposed to be a one-off number, wound up being the act that won me Miss Exotic World. Uh, So when I say like all of this stuff just feels like so meant to be, like I didn't choose it. I said yes to the opportunities that came as a result but it has completely changed my life in all the ways. Um, you know, I like, I, I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I just have to say, you are inspiration. And I hope other people are listening to this and think that you are an inspiration. Like you literally threw caution to the wind off of one documentary. Your Mm -hmm. friend saw that your friend had, I feel like your friend just had a premonition. Yeah, I think so you like, this is the direction you need to go. And like, I'm saying this for me, you have always been an inspiration to me. I still remember the first time that I got the courage to speak to you at, uh, at the sweet spot in DC. Like I remember you danced to gorilla mm-hmm. by Bruno Mars. And I remember 
thinking in my head, oh my God, I want the audience to look at me like that. I want the audience to be eating me with a spoon, even though they're getting steak. Okay. (laughs) A delicious piece of meat. Okay. A delicious meal. You know, I have to give a lot of credit to the sweet spot, you know, performing with that show. I think is some of the best training that I got just strictly being a performer and being adaptable because that show toured in like 36, 38 something cities around the United Mm -hmm. States quarterly, DC being one of the cities. And I believe up until I started touring with them full time, they only booked local burlesque performers for their yeah. shows. Yeah, when they came and to so, DC, they booked me. I wasn't a good fit for them at that time. Now yeah. they hit yes. me up now, they can get they can get it all. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, they asked me to go on tour with them and when I agreed to do that, that's when I gave up, you know, the other like permalance, you know, styling positions and jobs that I had been working out here and decided to like try to be a full-time performer and see how that goes. And let me tell you, for the two years that I worked with them, they not only brought out the best in me, like as far as they called the queendom into existence, mm. I believe, for me. This girl's going to be the future queen of burlesque, blah, 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 blah. Like, that's how they would introduce me. And, you know, I'm performing for, like, audiences of, like, 500 to 1,500 people on any given night, sometimes three shows a day. You know, you never know what type of stage you're going to be on. You know, all of these things, I think, is why I was able to win queen of burlesque being only three years old is because for two years prior, I had been on every freaking type of stage mm-hmm. possible. The only thing that was intimidating about the burlesque hall of fame stage is the fact that I was performing for my peers and our legends. Yeah. And I wanted to do them proud. So the train, I, I like I said, I, I have so much, gratitude for the sweet spot even though we did have to go our separate ways because it really did help me become the performer that I am but also I think quitting sweet spot was also part of my journey I don't think I would have won queen of burlesque unless I was willing to sacrifice that particular thing so I could do something else um you know my my year is Yes, I was going to say something. Um, uh, You winning Miss Exotic World, Queen of Burlesque in 2016, um, was a changing point for your life. And I guess for people outside looking in, you know, especially the Black burlesque community. I'm not going to lie. When I found out a bitch was half asleep and I jumped out of my bed and twerked, (laughs) like, yes, friend. Yes, friend. But then I also was just like, the pressure, friend, the pressure, friend, (laughs) you know, but I I love that everyone has seen your path before you saw it. And then one day you just like, I'm just going to fucking accept it. I'm going to put on my cha-cha heels and go. I mean, not really. I mean, that I wish I could say it was just one day. Like I'm saying, I only feel prepared for the job if you're ever prepared for that job, like 
now, like maybe over the right. last six months, like post pandemic, I'm like, you know what? I'm ready to step into this queendom. Like, no, it was not like that. I really went in with all the imposter syndrome, all of this unworthiness. Like, in my opinion, it should have been Pearl, you know, it, uh, all of these different things going on. And then on top of it, you know, you remember there was a lot of drama going on within mm-hmm. the Black burlesque community at that time. We had all re been introduced to Rio Savant and, you know, her history and wondering how come we didn't know anything about her. And then, you know, it was all of this stuff like, oh, are you the first one Black woman to win or are you not? Like, you know, I was under the impression that I was. And then it was just like, oh, no, you know, congratulations, Poison Ivory, the second Black woman to win the title Miss Exotic World. I'm like, oh, really? Uh, Didn't even know. So, at the end of the day, I, I, what I attributed my win to was, you know, maybe Rio Savant is, does consider themselves to be a Black performer specifically. And yes, even though the title is different now, like there, it was just, you know, it's a different, it's a different thing than it was 20 years ago when Rio won. But I'm like, if my win brought Rio's name back into the forefront of people's mouths and I was able to help with that particular form of erasure, then that is what my reign is all about. And I decided to use that year and I prioritized headlining festivals that had never had a queen of burlesque before. You know what I mean? Like I, I did 18 festivals the year of that I won Miss Exotic World. I remember you did the Rue Festival because we were in New Orleans together. And I think we snuck away at a show to go get oysters and drinks. Oh yes, I definitely Yeah, we were like, intermission, I was like, yes, I was like, come with me, let's go get some drinks. New Orleans trip was a trip. (laughs) It was a trip, but I was very happy to look at you and go, I'm going to go get oysters. Yes. I'm going to go get drinks. Yes. (laughs) Would you like to come with? And you were like, absolutely. And we just left. Who says no to that kind of invitation? Exactly. <laughs> I don't know who says no to that kind of stuff. No one should say um, no to that. But no, I I will have to say like, yeah, I remember all of that. But I guess more importantly for me, like watching you, I was just like, no, this is like a new era. This is this is great, you know. Mm-hmm. And I get the imposter syndrome trust. I still got it. Okay, yeah, like yes, of course, still got it. We all still got it. Um. But now that you have felt like you have like finally stepped into it, I guess mm-hmm. my question is, baby, what does it feel like? Does it feel soft? Does it feel warm? Is it spiky? You is know it what hard? it is? <laughs> it's really funny because like the day after I passed the crown on to Media Noche, who was the 2017 Miss Exotic World, I felt like I lost the identity that I did have, even though it was an imposter syndrome created through imposter syndrome. I lost even that identity. So I wound up going into like the greatest depression of my life. And that is actually what got me into therapy was winning Queen of Burlesque and then passing that title on actually got me to go into therapy and do a lot of healing. Now I have been in still with my same therapist for going on five years now. And I'm telling you the work that I did on myself 
the shadow work that I have done, the digging into the parts of myself that I tried to hide or whatever, that has been the key to me accepting who I am today. Like I don't have imposter syndrome now because I realized that that was just because I, imposter syndrome, now I understand it. I had all these queen-like qualities that I suppressed in my life. And Mm -hmm. then instead of tapping into my own version of queendom, I was trying to represent what other people's version of queendom meant. That's why you feel like an imposter. Not because you don't aren't deserving, but because you are literally trying to recreate somebody else's version, the version that you think is the right version. But the thing is the right version is your version. But until you go and dig deep and realize like, yeah, I do have aggression, actually, rightfully so. I don't need to hide that part of myself. Instead, I'm going to put it on display and actually in a way that is healthy and in a way that allows people to see this, that this is not a bad quality for Black women to have. Like, yes, it has been programmed that way. It has been used as a weapon and a tool. But my aggression fully realized is no longer going to cause me to lash out. I realize mm. I have these qualities and again, rightfully so, but instead of having my buttons push and I'm lashing out and having people use these very healthy, you know, energies and feelings against me as a weapon, I realize this is not anything that could be weaponized against me. Yeah, it still bugs the shit out of me when you use try to use that to take me down. But like, mm-hmm. I realize what it is. Like, if you're pulling that out of me, that's because you have your own personal aggression that you haven't dealt with. And now it's you're the projecting. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But now even the projections that I, that are put on me, I see them and I accept them. And I'm like, yes, of course. And I'm glad I'm actually going to be the window upon which you are going to see yourself because you're not going to cause me to act out because I actually embrace who I am. And I realize that your energy is not worth that. You know what I mean? So it's like the more I dug deep into the parts of me that I was ashamed of, I realized that those things are actually my superpowers. Those are the things that the people who I go on stage with and I am vulnerable, vulnerable enough to show my aggression, vulnerable enough to show these sides of me, the loneliness, all of those things, vulnerable enough to get on stage and perform until I'm eight and a half months pregnant. All of these things, I did those things. So that way the people who are in the audience watching me can connect to me and feel free through my expression. Now that is something that I would never give up. And like, I don't need to win Queen of Burlesque again. I've done it. It's like the presidency, in my opinion. It is now my job to continue to constantly be the queen that I know I can be. Does that mean that I have to do and support every single thing the Burlesque Hall of Fame does? No, not always. Sometimes that queendom is actually taking some time to myself so I can spend time with my baby and not worry about being on stage or being the center of attention and still knowing that I've already solidified my place 
in this community and I can rest easy. I can actually say, you know what, girl, don't worry about working weekends during this month. So that way you can actually enjoy the summer with your child. Like those are the things that I wouldn't have dared to do five, six years ago when I actually was queen of burlesque. So if going into this place now where not only have I accepted who I am, what my contributions are to this art form, but now I am okay with being like, let me prioritize self-care and rest rather than hustle. Maybe I'll be that queen who's going to let people know that they can actually prioritize their joy. Because what was happening to me is even though burlesque gave me life, it was also the same thing that was killing me. Because yes, on stage, I was getting all of this joy and fulfillment, but everything in between, in between performances was full of anxiety of like, oh my God, I got to make a new costume. Oh, I got to prove myself in this way. Oh, I got to do this. Oh, I have to do that. Oh, I have to do that. And realizing that I have already done enough and I have already worked so hard. And now maybe I'm going to go back to allowing myself to be divinely guided. Like when my life was changed for the better for the very first time and everything felt easy. Like that to me is success of like, you know, not only in my opinion, I kind of take, took this after Dave Chappelle, like I was a teacher and he, his father was a teacher and he's like, you know, well, I am I consider myself successful because I'm making more money as a comedian than my father was making as an educator. So therefore I can consider myself successful. It's the same thing in my life right now, not to mention that I'm like living in my dream city and all of these things. Oh my God. I, to answer your question about my (laughs) (laughs) again, it, I don't feel like I chose it. I feel like it chose me. And through accepting that calling, like in manifest, if you don't answer the call, shitty things happen. I answered the call. And now here we are. I am, you know, my baby's napping in the other room. Apparently I can throw on a face in 15 and be like ready for an on-camera interview. Like didn't even know I had these skills, girl. But like, apparently I do. do And that's like- you have been dropping very much flowers of wisdom that oh. I think the audience needed to hear. But not only that, I am a firm believer in that, like, the universe will always give you signs. And I'm not going to lie, Poison, you've just gave me the best signs and the best knowledge. Like, I can't wait to listen back on this interview <laughs> and, and cry and just be like, she's right. My friend is so right. Not like I can't pick up the phone and call you and say, yeah. I am going through it right now. And you would yeah. be like, why, why are you going through it? Let me tell you, let me tell you, how to, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. Shush, shush. You know? Um, yeah. I am just, oh my gosh, this has just been an amazing <laughs> <so> interview <laughs> because you have just like dropped these amazing, like pearls of wisdom like these flowers these huge some of them are legitimate pearls of wisdom if you follow (laughs) pearl noir on instagram like some of these little nuggets i'm telling you i definitely learned from my mentor miss pearl noir i mean uh, there there are a lot of things that i i think i have told pearl once or twice i'm like 
Yeah, no, I listen to you. You just don't yes. think I listen to you, but I, I do. I'm, I'm that She's probably kid. mad at I, you right I, now. I have. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I had to tell her recently when I was in New York and I got to see her perform at Polite Society. Uh-huh. We sat at the table together. It was so warm that when she saw me, her eyes lit up and started smiling like, oh my God, at least one of my kids is here. Like someone I know is here. And then she was just asking me questions like, how do you feel about all this stuff? And I was just like, listen, I'm happy I did my shadow work. I'm happy that I did this, but I listened to you and I wrote to producers in New York. You know, I just told people this is what I wanted. This is what I want my wildest dreams to be. And people listened. And I'm still thankful that you listened to me and Midia Noche listened to me about Dwayne Park. I'm not going to lie. (laughs) <laughs> like but well, I just said it I outright said it and the next you know y'all were like okay cool we'll talk yeah. next thing like, you know great. I'm like oh yeah so you ready to go and you're like oh no I got a second show I'm like what what how you gonna get a second show how you gonna get a second show I didn't even get an offer exactly. and I was shocked at that because I was cool. thinking that cool. both of us cool. were going to be on yeah. this I was like yeah we're doing it again and then they were like, oh, no, you're here for this NPM show. I was like, huh? Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's okay. <laughs> it's all I good. mean, it's all good. It, it's all good. But I also know that you and I will always be working together. That's one of the things that I put in my manifestation book mm-hmm. of just like, I want to be, I want to be working beside all my friends and my friends and my coworkers. And we're cool. Like, it's amazing. You, Like I said, you winning was just amazing. You, you getting from one side of the country to another is amazing. Yet I'm freaking about just moving, what, four hours away? <laughs> hey, listen, I didn't have any money either when I moved, so, you know. Yeah, and you, and you, and you did it. And uh, I know that you are also a House of Noir gem. I know we've been talking about Pearl as well. Um, how has that additionally shaped you as a performer? You know, it's, it's interesting as a performer, it is so wonderful to have your, you know, your burlesque inspiration, have direct hands in molding who you are on stage. But the thing that I value more than my ability to like understand her teachings and be taught through her, I feel like both of us we're kind of called to be in each other's lives, like on a more spiritual level, you know, not to go too deep into anything, but, you know, Pearl is definitely on her healing journey as well and has created all these beautiful workshops, healing through seduction, all of these things. But the catalyst behind those was her own healing journey. Mm -hmm. And I got to bear witness to that healing journey being a member of her house. And we have had our own back and forths, um, ups and downs, all of it. But the thing is, Uh, the house for me really was the family that I didn't have. Like I was not raised by a mother. um, So I didn't know that mother daughter dynamic really at all. And I think at times me and Pearl clashed 
because I had a hard time accepting that. But also Pearl was like just stepping into Mama Pearl. Like she wasn't that at the beginning. You know, we all saw that transition with her. Yes. Um, yes. And so as she was learning how to embrace that, I was learning how to be guided and how to surrender and all of those things. So I feel like, yes, well, she's only a few years older than me in like actual years on this current earth in these current manifestations our connection i think has gone back maybe lifetimes like who knows and i do think that there that she has been brought into my life to play that mother role because now i am a mother of you know a human baby child (laughs) and you know i had a lot of fear like i i didn't i i was 36 when i had my daughter you know like still not sure if I was ready to be a mother because I never had a real um, example of how to be a mother outside of like TV, you know, Claire Huxtable, like that's yeah. all I really knew. Uh, yeah. And I knew I was a no Claire Huxtable. So I was like, how am I going to do this? Um, but having Pearl in my life who like not only helped me to embrace like who I am and the, and the beauty of my, you know, art and she's helped me accept like glamour and feeling worthy. She has also helped me to understand the idea of abundance even, and that I am worthy of those things and that whatever is for me is for me. Like these nuggets that I'm telling you, Pearl, I believe is the mirror upon which I was able to actually see these things brought into life. Like she has been such a wonderful example to me. And also like, again, like I was making a joke earlier, like she might be mad at me right now because I have not been super present over this last week, but you know, it's a lot, it's a lot navigating being a mom and working again, post pandemic and not even really post pandemic, but like in the times that we're in right now, it's like so much, but the thing is, the thing that I got most out of being a gem is that I actually have a built-in burlesque family that wound Mm -hmm. up being more than I could have asked for. Like this house is called a house for a reason and not a troop. You know, she based this house off of like the freaking drag houses and the Vogue houses, the Willie Ninjas, you know, like House of Ninja, all of these things are what the House of Noir has been based off of. So that family dynamic was so important. And it almost like when I think back at the struggles that we have had and the tears that we have shed, the heartbreaks and the joys and the winnings and all of this stuff. And like, you know, the travel, all of these things that we have done as a house, the most that I am grateful for is being able to watch my burlesque mother, who is in fact an icon Mm -hmm. go through a full transformation right before my very eyes. Um, that gave me the strength to realize that like whatever I am today is not who I'm going to be five years from now. Like she told me even then when I was telling her about my imposter syndrome, she was like, dirty martini is not the same queen today that she was in 2003. She's not even the same queen that she was in 2010. 
understand that there is still growth that is going to happen. This winning of the competition for a lot of people, winning at Miss Exotic World was their end-all, be-all, their ultimate goal. And that wound up being the thing that started my career in a way. Mm, yeah. You know, so the, I couldn't. That was the jumping point. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I couldn't really <clears throat> accept it under the same way that it had always been accepted from others before and realize that like, yes, I am a Hall of Fame performing, winning burlesque performer and that can never be taken away from me and even though I'm still on this growth journey I'm very proud of the choices that I have made as a performer I feel like I have not only represented myself but also the black community and also just being a queer woman of color all of these things also being a woman who's damn near 40 years old also being a mother all of these things I have taken into account. And I realize that like, it doesn't matter what title I have, what is going to continue to make me bookable is how I make people feel when I'm in their presence. I want people to feel seen by me. I don't need to be seen by them. I want them to feel seen by me. That is what I bring to the stage. I'm already seen. I'm up there. I'm in the lights. But you know who's not seen? The people in the fucking balcony or by the bar or like by the bathrooms. Those people aren't even expecting to be seen. And I go out of my way to see them. That is what I think helps me stand apart. That is part of my gift of what I bring to the stage. And I am very lucky enough to have a mentor in my life who showcases that on a regular basis. So you know, I'm love proud that. to be a member of the house. I'm proud of all the things, good, bad, hard, easy, all of it. Like I, I am so grateful that I'm even on this journey right now. So yeah. no, this that's, is just gorgeous. And I also, that's just gorgeous. It's, and it's because, yeah, I, I'm one of those people. I love Pearl from afar because she's so intimidating to me. Um, but, <laughs> but, but I know, you know she's just such little. She, she has, you know, huge energy. And I'm always just like, oh my God, I love this energy, but I don't know what to do with it. So I'm just going to go in the corner and stare at you awkwardly yeah. and talk, but still get up the courage to talk to you. But in the back of my head, I'm like, you are amazing. And I just want you to know that, you know, and well, you're I one was, of her daughters, girl. So like, I know. Yeah. And it's one of those things I know I can just pick up the phone and, you know, politely ask her, you know, do you have a time to chat to my love? You know, <laughs> but even same thing with you. There are times Pro I tip, call her, text her in the middle of the night. She's always <laughs> in the middle of the night. <laughs> like even with you, like, I'm not going to lie. When I first landed in New York and you were just like, we're going out, like we're going out. And I was just like, okay. And me, you just have this beautiful heart to heart. And I remember just thinking like, yes, yes. And I think that was my brain just kept saying yes. But also I was just like, this person has my number and they can call me anytime and I can babysit their daughter, AKA my niece. Like, you yeah. know, I can do birthday that. Twin. So one, birthday twin. Yeah. Um, but the other, the last thing that I want to want to touch on is the fact that now with all this growth and how and how you are, I uh, you have a you are producing a show, a weekly show in New York at Nurse yeah. Betty. I and know. that's in the Lower East Side. Is that the Lower East yes, Side? Yes, it is. Yes. I'm it learning. Is. I'm learning about my mistakes. <laughs> um, <laughs> um you you producing what I guess 
tell the people about the show and why they should always buy the tickets and have you sell out for months and months and months and months and months. Yes, please do. Please do. Because it's still stressing me out. <laughs> so I just finished my first month of doing weekly shows at Nurse Betty. Um, Nurse Betty is a cute little pinup bar that is in the Lower East Side in New York. And they have uh, two weekly shows, a Wednesday night and a Thursday night show. And, you know, fun fact, when I first started performing, uh, the Wednesday night show, who was which was hosted by uh, Shelly Watson until, you know, the pandemic came, uh, that was the first place that I was hired to work. And it was like the first paid gig I ever got. So it is very sweet to be able to now have my very first weekly hosting and producing gig be at the same place that gave me my start. Um, so that is very sweet. But, you know, what is really nice about it on top of everything is, you know, Nurse Betty for many people um, have like not even just New York based, but people who have traveled from other countries, everything. Nurse Betty is a place where people who have dreams of performing in New York know that they can go and have an opportunity. And now to know that I hold the key to those opportunities just means so much to me. And also we cannot deny the fact that I am a Black queer woman of color who is hosting this weekly show and producing the show in the Lower East Side. It is a big deal because right now there is just, not right now, but always, you know, it's been such a white ma male producer situation. And, you know, in most of those cases, a woman who is of color, what ever has such a hard time scrapping and fighting their ways into these places, right? To have opportunities to perform. Like you have to, you know, the old saying goes, you have to be twice as good, you know, to mm -hmm. work in the same spaces as your white counterparts and stuff like that. And it now feels just so beautiful to be able to prioritize performers of color to give people the opportunity to be on the stage while still honoring what nurse Betty has always been. Like, in my opinion, it has become even more elevated since I started working there nine years ago. Uh, now they're, you know, it used to be free shows. Now it's ticketed. So instead of it just being like, Oh, come one, come all. Some people want to see the show. Some people don't, you know, overcrowded, whatever. Now it is a completely ticketed event where everyone is seated. So now it's not just this tiny little stage that we get to perform on. Now it has become more of a floor show experience and, and because of that, because of the ticket sales, we are able to offer a higher paying rate. So therefore, I'm able to bring performers who have not been on the Nurse Betty stage in like a decade back to the stage. So, yes, it is very important to um, support this show because we need more female producers. We need more producers of color, like actually out there. We need more people of color on the actual microphone. Cause that's a big thing. Like out here, there are very, there's not that many. I mean, like we, we have main attraction, <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. And it's like, you know, obviously some places they have like singers and stuff who do singing and hosting, but to have just like a black host 
female or otherwise on the stage who understands the art form and who is actually has respect for the art form being the one who's talking and introducing these performers. It is so important. And now not only that, but like, it's not just a newbie performer game. Now we have the opportunity to bring back in our freaking icons. Like Pearl Noir did my very first show. It was you know, amazing. Like, I was there. Point, it was amazing. You know, bringing, Yes, exactly. But like, I have Media Noche coming up. Media Noche is going to be performing this month. Like, it is just amazing that these performers are trusting me and wanting to come and support me in this way and like being in the show. So like, kudos to the owner for taking a chance and like allowing me to do this. I hope that, you know, we've had sold out shows every week so far. I'm hoping that this Wednesday show is sold out again uh, because I want to continue to prove the point that like, I'm not a risk actually. I, I am more of a asset to Mm -hmm. the show and what they want it to be. And, you know, I think this is just the beginning for what, Nurse Betty is going to be able to do and future bars that are going to be opening up in <laughs> later on this year and other on, future parts of this city. But, you know, we'll speak on those things uh, at a later time. But, you know, I just feel like even getting this opportunity to host this show, which I refuse to beg for, I'm like, if it's meant for me, it's going to be offered to me. And it was offered to me. And now I'm just going to freaking bring me and do my best. And like, yes, I am hosting every week. It is a learning curve, obviously. But, you know, I, I am thrilled that I even have like, the faith in myself to go ahead and go on the microphone every week and just like trust that, you know, my ancestors are going to speak through me and I'm going to say some funny, some funny shit and be entertaining and bring some beautiful performers to the stage. And I just want to continue to do that for as long as I'm blessed with the job. So, yes, no. And you definitely have my support in always, of course, Um, You're already booked on September 1st. I'm already booked on September 1st. And (laughs) I am like a backup host. (laughs) Whenever you travel. (laughs) And like, what's good about, I'm not going to lie. I definitely, I understand the whole hosting thing and being a black woman and host. I used to run a party brunch and I hosted every week. And you're right. There's a learning curve. And that's actually where I got my chops at. So when people are just like, you're so funny and so quick and witty. I'm like, Oh no, baby, I've been doing this for nine years. Yes. Nine exactly. long years yelling at people. So this is nothing to me, but yeah. this is just an amazing opportunity. And I want everyone to Please. buy your tickets to go to yeah. Nurse Betty. Even if you can't come, buy a ticket and donate it. And I'll give it to like a performer in need who wants to come out and see the show. But yeah, that's, I mean, that's good I'm to sure know. you will have all my social medias or whatever. You can definitely find out. My show is every Wednesday night at 9 PM. So please, uh, if you're in town and you want to support, we will love to see you there. Yes, yes, yes. And also nurse Betty stays open till 4 AM. Oh yes, it does. That's, it that's a great hundred percent. Every yeah. time, every time every you say that, that or Frankie says that, I'm just like, that's right. That's right. Yes. Y'all are open to 4 a.m. 
Yes. Uh, so I guess my final thing is just where would you like people to find you as it's your social media or anything like yeah, that? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, you can go ahead and type in Poison Ivory Burlesque, Miss Poison Ivory. Those should bring you up to my website, you know, and you'll be able to find my social media, like my Instagram, all that. Uh, Instagram is always the easiest if you want to like be completely up to date on what's going on, because in my link tree, I have my calendar, I have my, you know, you know, you can buy tickets for Nurse Betty and all of those types of things. Um, so yeah, that that is the easiest way, I think, is just using the gram for as long as the gram is going to allow us to use the gram. I am often shadow banned there. So, you know, Google will be your friend, Miss Poison Ivory or Poison Ivory Burlesque and Ivory like the soap. That's yes. how you'll be able to find me. Ivory, I was so, well, thank you so much for taking your time to of just course. share with us your beautiful journey, your beautiful you. story, your beautiful history. And I personally cannot wait for our listeners to follow you on the gram and also Yay. be in the audience tipping us heavily and yes. putting you Venmo, on. Girl. Venmo, she got, she got pampas to pay for people. Cash app friend, anywhere. You can find me anywhere. Venmo. <laughs> Venmo, Cash App, all that. We got Pampas to purchase, okay? (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Poison. And it's just been a pleasure. You're welcome. Thank you. Here's a stripper auntie's tip. After a long night in heels, put on a pair of compression socks. They apply pressure to your lower legs, helping to maintain blood flow and reduce discomfort and swelling. They're not just your Mima special socks anymore. And that has been your 